0: There is an Irish legend about a king who had no children to succeed him on the throne. And so he sent messengers all throughout the kingdom to post signs everywhere inviting qualified young men to come and apply for an interview with the king. This is how he hoped to choose his own successor before he died. And and he stressed two main qualifications that the person would have a deep love for God and also a deep love for his neighbor. So a certain young man saw one of these signs, and he indeed had a deep love for God and a deep love for his neighbor, and he wanted to apply for one of these interviews with the king. But he he was very poor, and he was so poor that he didn't have uh, clothes decent enough to be in an interview with the king. And he also did not have enough money just to to buy the food and provisions he would need to make the long journey to the king's castle. So the young man prayed over the matter. And he finally, after doing that, decided that he would beg. He would beg for the things he needed until he had enough to get clothes decent enough to meet with the king and also um, until he had enough to buy the, the food and provisions he would need for this long journey. And he did that. And when he had gathered all the things that he needed, he finally set out. Now after a month of traveling, he finally caught sight of the king's palace and it was high on a hill up in the distance. But at the same time as, as he caught sight of that, he caught sight of uh, an old, a poor old beggar sitting on the side of the road. And, and this poor beggar was, was holding out his hands and, and pleading for help. I'm hungry and I'm cold, he said with with this this weak, tired voice. He said, please, can can you give me something warm to wear and and, uh, something nourishing to eat? Well, the sight of that beggar moved the young man. And so he stripped off all his new, brand new, warm outer clothes, and he exchanged them for the the tattered old coat of the beggar. And then he gave him also most of the food that he had been carrying in his backpack for the return journey home. So now, a little bit uncertain, a little bit hesitant, he continues on his journey to the castle of the king, wearing tattered clothes and not having food enough for the return journey home. He got to the castle and the king's guards met him at the gate. They brought him into the visitor's area. And then after waiting there a while, he was led in to see the king. And the young man bowed deeply before the throne. But when he straightened up, the young man was shocked to see that the man standing in front of him was that beggar along the side of the road. So he said to the king, You are that bigger that I met on the side of the road. And the king said, yes, that's true. So the young man asked, well, why did you do that? And the king said, I needed to know if you really did love God and love your neighbor. And then the king said to him, you are going to be the new heir to the throne. Jesus came once in humility. Born in a stable, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, walked up a hill to a cross, and then walked out of a tomb alive. Jesus now comes to us in his word and in his sacraments where he speaks to us Daily and encourages us. And where he brings us to faith and strengthens that faith and draws us nearer to him. He comes to us every day, right now. And one day, Jesus will come again visibly in glory as a judge sitting on his heavenly throne in glory. Just as we confess every week in the creed, he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what he's coming for. That's the picture we have in our text. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, first of all, I want you to imagine that you are in a cemetery on that last day. Pick any cemetery you want. You might pick you know, something like one of those big military cemeteries where just have fields and fields and fields of the white tombstones. But I'm guessing you might have picked the one where maybe your parents are buried. I know the one I'm thinking of right now. It's already been going through my mind. But picture that you're in a cemetery on the last day. And what a sight that would be because on that day, all nations, it says, all people who have ever died are going to be raised to life. Imagine that picture. We, we, we also hear in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake to everlasting, some do everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And in John 528 29, Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. This is the picture in our text. This is what's going to happen on Judgment Day, on the last day. All, all people who have ever lived and died are going to be raised to life again. And they're going to be gathered before the throne of the one sitting here. The one on the throne. The one we've been talking about. And like a shepherd separating sheep from goats at the end of the day, he will separate them. Sheep on his right, goats on his left. I want you to notice something about that. He will separate them. He will separate them. And really, when you look at that, gone are all the lame excuses that we hear so often. Well, here's what I believe about God. Here's, here's what, how I think God, you know, operates. And here's what I think God's rules are. And here's what I believe. I'm a spiritual person and here's how I think it works. Gone. All those lame ideas. He will separate. The rules are his. The one in control is his. The one sitting on the throne is him. No one else. He's not going to have advisors saying, well, I think, you know... Yeah, that person's pretty, you know, there's going to, he will separate. We're in his hands. We're in the hands of the one who died and rose for us. Okay, so then the next verse says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This verse, my friends, tells us a lot about God's love for us. Come. Actually, the the sense of that phrase is come here. The the kindest possible words that a father could speak to his children. When you picture this scene that is in our text, you need to picture this as this amazing, joyful moment when the one, Jesus, the one who died for you, is going to be looking at you with a big smile on his face saying, come here, my child. Come here, my children. L- like a father who loves his child, saying, come here. I want you to be with me. Come here, my children. You who are blessed by my father. Friends, we the ones who believe in him have been blessed by God. We have been blessed by him. The blessing comes from him to us. So... Judgment Day is not about getting what we finally deserve. Judgment Day is about us getting a gift from God. Judgment Day is about us receiving a gift that we have not deserved from a God who loves us, who has blessed us. And then it says, take your inheritance. Now, no one ever earned an inheritance. Sorry, that's that's not what that word means. Inheritance isn't something you earn. An inheritance is a gift. An inheritance is something that someone gives to someone else. Passes down. Okay? It's a gift. And and so what God has waiting for us in heaven is is a gift. It's an inheritance from him to us. Then look at the last phrase of that verse. Prepared for you since the creation of the world. Don't miss this. Okay? The kingdom of heaven was prepared by God for all people from the time the world was created. In other words, heaven is always what God has had in mind for humanity. Not hell. Heaven is what God prepared for us. Heaven is what God had in mind for us. Heaven, living with God, is always what God wanted for us. Look how excited he is to invite us to come and enjoy it with him. This is friends, is what Judgment Day brings for believers in Jesus. So how will the world know that we have been believers? What will mark us as different from unbelievers? Since belief, since faith in Jesus is something you can't see, something that is inside your heart, what will the evidence of it be? What will the, where, how will you see it outside? Where's the evidence? Because there's kind of like a courtroom scene. And when you're in a courtroom, the evidence for the verdict needs to be brought forward. So where's the evidence of faith? Here is the evidence of faith. For I was, just Jesus' words, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. This is the evidence of faith in Jesus. Now, let's not get confused, as so many people have throughout the years. You do not get saved. You do not get eternal life because you fed the hungry, clothed the poor, and took care of the sick. You get eternal life because you have been blessed with an inheritance from God as a gift. We're going to double check with just a couple of the hundreds of passages we could from Scripture. Okay? One from Romans three twenty eight. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Your works don't save you. And um, Galatians 3.11, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. We heard this last week in last week's sermon. Okay? Your works don't save you. Jesus saves you. Faith is what connects you to that. So we, are, we say that we are saved through faith. The righteous will live by faith. Faith works, don't save. But friends, here's the thing we need to understand, and this is what Jesus is explaining here. Faith works. Faith always works. In other words, faith does work. Faith isn't lazy. Faith is doing stuff. All right? All right. James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So if your faith isn't producing fruits of faith, if your faith isn't producing good works out of love and thanks to Jesus, it isn't faith, and it won't save. Faith produces works. Works are the evidence of faith. And that's what we see in this, this Judgment Day courtroom. Feeding the hungry. Giving water to the thirsty. Inviting in the stranger. Taking care of the sick. Visiting the one in prison. Okay? These are simple, concrete examples of what faith looks like on the outside. These things are evidence of faith. They're not huge things either. Notice Jesus didn't say I was sick and you healed me. He didn't say I was in prison and you freed me. He said you came to visit me. Simple acts of kindness. Evidence of faith in Jesus. These are the kinds of things that showed that Irish king what was inside the young man who helped him when he looked like a beggar on the side of the road. These are the kinds of things that will show others what that faith in Jesus you have inside of you looks like on the outside. So friends, my question for you today is, are you letting other people see what your faith in Jesus, which is inside of you, looks like on the outside? Are you letting your faith show on the outside? That faith in Jesus connects you to all that is good and all that we have to look forward to in eternal life. Are you letting that faith in Jesus show on the outside? Are you regularly spending your time doing things that will benefit other people and maybe require some sacrifice on your part. Let's try it this way. Do you hear these verses, this text, and feel good? Or do you hear these verses and feel a little bit guilty? I I have to admit the second is probably more often true for me because I know I haven't always done these things. I know I continue to not always do these things. And notice something else. Notice what Jesus doesn't list as evidence of faith. He doesn't list these things. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying regularly, uh, having a clean record. Probably some of the things that we might expect him to list as evidence of faith. He doesn't list those things. The only things he lists are these simple, selfless, loving acts of of kindness. Evidence of the faith that is inside. So here's the next question for you guys. Would your neighbor describe you in the same way? If your neighbor was talking about you, would they say, well, I was hungry and he fed me. I was, hung- I was thirsty and she gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and they invited me in. Is that how your neighbor would describe you? Listen to the response of the righteous. When did we do this stuff? Okay, they're surprised. That's really important to understand because that tells us something else about faith. They're not doing it for credit. In fact, they wanted no credit for it. When did we, we, when did we do this stuff? So we see Humility we see selflessness. They weren't doing these things. Believers aren't doing these things to win Jesus' favor. They already have Jesus' favor. They're doing these things because these things need to be done. Okay? They weren't doing these things in order to make them look good. They're doing these things because Jesus has already made them good. They aren't doing these things for others to maybe get repaid someday. They're doing these things for Jesus because these are the things that he has already done for them and not only would they be living eternally because of this faith in Jesus because this faith they have connects them to what Jesus has done but they're also living by faith so not only is their faith the thing connecting them to Jesus but it's also the thing motivating to live them to live the way they are living. It's also that they are also living by faith. In other words, the way they are conducting their lives, the way that believers conduct their lives, grows out of, is produced by, comes out of that faith in Jesus that God has given them through the Holy Spirit. And that's what's exciting about this text. Doesn't this text spur us on to live by faith? This is a Lutheran church and we strongly want to not only preach, but hold to that very important scriptural truth that we've been saved by grace alone, faith alone, through scripture alone. That, that, that it's nothing we do but the faith that God has given us through the Holy Spirit working through scripture, that faith that we have, that connects us to Christ. So live by faith is very important for us. But it also is the motivation for us to go and live As believers only can live new lives produced by that faith God has given us. Now listen to what Jesus will say to those on the left. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A couple things here. First of all, there absolutely is a hell. A lot of people have been trying to deny that lately. But I guess the only problem with that is, well, the Bible. Okay? Because you can't argue with this passage and many more like it. There is a hell. But here's the other thing I want you to notice about hell. Look who it was prepared for. It was never created for people. God never intended people to be in hell. That was not why hell exists. This says very clearly, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. There's another verse in the Bible that says the very same thing. Not people. So a lot of people struggle with the fact that a loving God could allow there to be a hell, but it wasn't made for us. It wasn't prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not people. People have brought it on themselves. How? No faith. Not believing in Jesus. Rejecting him and his salvation and all he's done for us. Saying no to it. And in in the Judgment Day courtroom here, it's made very plain because those on the left were missing, they were lacking the evidence of faith. They didn't feed Jesus when he was hungry. They didn't give him water to drink when he was thirsty. They didn't invite him in when he was a stranger. They didn't give him clothes when he was naked or visit him when he was sick or imprisoned. They didn't have those things as evidence of faith. In other words, even if they did things like that, they weren't doing them out of love and thanks for Jesus. They weren't doing them out of faith. In Jesus, there was no evidence for faith. If if works gets you into heaven, he would have said something very different. But notice what, again, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, he didn't say to the people on his left, well, you know, depart from me because you murdered, because you stole, because you lied, because you cheated. He doesn't say anything like that. The only things he lists are these simple little loving selfless acts of kindness that are evidence of faith in Jesus. And the only thing he's pointing out is you're missing that. People on both sides might have murdered, stolen, cheated, and and all of that, because we've done all of that. But the difference is they were missing the evidence of faith. Whereas the ones on the other side had the evidence of faith. He's not saying they're perfect. And he's not saying that that was the difference between the two. He's saying the ones on the left were missing the evidence of faith. But listen to their response. Look at it. They are surprised too. But they're surprised because they thought they were innocent. They thought they had been doing all these things. All right, they, and, and, and maybe they had. Maybe they, they did things like this, getting water for people and, and feeding people, but they weren't doing them out of love and thanks and faith in Jesus. They weren't doing them out of faith that would connect them to eternal life. They don't admit guilt. You can still see unbelief in their response. And and listen to this. If you go back a few verses and you remember how the righteous ones uh, were responding to Jesus and as they responded, they repeated all of Jesus' words verbatim. They quoted him. When when did we do this? And and, And they quoted Jesus verbatim. What does that show? It shows a respect for the word of God. But when the ones on the left answer back and repeat Jesus' words back to him, they shorten them. They just cut it right in half, showing no respect for the word of God. No tears of remorse or repentance. No pity for the hungry or the sick. No plea for mercy or forgiveness. Only bitterness and argument. No evidence for faith. That shows the lack of evidence for faith and and that is why they will go to punishment. But listen, I know you're believers in Jesus. I know you are sheep who look to him for eternal life. And because you believe, because you have this faith, because you have this faith in Jesus, The Bible encourages us, live by faith. Friends, don't live as though you don't have faith. You are people with faith in God. You are people who rejoice daily in these blessings that God has given you through Christ, by what He has done for us with His life and His death and His resurrection. So live by faith. Let's not go out there and live as if we don't have faith. Let's not look like unloving people. Let's not hold that faith inside so people can't see what faith looks like on the outside. That's not living by faith. Let's live by faith. Let's let the evidence of that beautiful gift God has given us show on the outside so people can see what an amazing and awesome thing that is. Let the evidence of your faith show. Absolutely. This text right here shows what the evidence of faith is. It lays it out. Jesus makes it pretty clear for us. So let that kind of evidence of your faith show. Let those things be a part of your life. Live in such a way that shows thankfulness to Jesus for what he has done for you, for the price that he paid for you. All right? And so do those loving things. And then repent when you're wrong. Admit when you're guilty. Plead for mercy. And... Be generous with your forgiveness and your love as Jesus is and has been with you. We can see what happens when you stand before God without faith. Eternal punishment. But friends, you, you have been given life. Eternal life. You've been given life because of what Christ has done for you because of what Christ has done for the whole world. And God, the Spirit, has worked faith in your heart that's brought you here, that's led you to confess what he's done for you, and that now is going to live in the way that you live your life. So live by that faith. Okay? In how you trust in Jesus and in how you respond in thanks. And remember some things about faith. Faith always works. So as we Lutherans go out and share this wonderful message that we are saved by faith, remember that that faith we're saved by always has works. It it, it shows itself on the outside. The works don't save, but but that faith that saves has works. And remember this about uh, those works. Um, Faith takes no credit. We're going to be like those ones, when do we do that stuff? I don't remember doing that stuff because we weren't doing it to look good. We're doing it for Jesus. And, 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 and the final thing is this, that faith says thank you. That what we do, the, the works we do are not to, to get something. The works we do are to say thank you for what we've gotten. Okay? God isn't going to ask you one day what kind of car you drove. But he is going to ask you how many people you helped get to where they need to go. God isn't going to ask you how many square footage uh, you had in your house, but he is going to ask you how many people you welcomed into your home. God isn't going to ask you um, about the clothes in your closet, but he will ask you how many people you helped to clothe. And God's not going to ask you how many friends you had in real life or on Facebook, but he will ask you how you've been a friend to others. And God's not going to ask what neighborhood you lived in, but he will ask how you treated your neighbors. And listen, God isn't going to ask you either how or why it took you so long to come to believe in Jesus as your Savior, but he will graciously and lovingly take you to eternal life because of Jesus Christ. So let's end on this very objectively. We talked about objective justification this morning in Bible study. Let's end on this Objectively. If you look at verses 35 and 36, I want you to notice something. The ones on the right, the ones who believe in Jesus as their Savior, the ones who have faith in Jesus, I want you to notice something. They do not have one single sin mentioned against them. And maybe you wondered about that because we know something. We know that nobody's perfect. We are not perfect, that's for sure. We haven't done all these things. But God gives us the credit for them. So friends, on that day, when we are standing at God's right hand, because we believe that Jesus has paid the price for our sins, God is not going to see one single sin in our lives. When God looks at our lives, the only thing he's going to see are the righteous acts of Jesus. That is how we know that heaven is ours. And that is how we know that we have a loving God, one who we are connected to by faith. So friends, live by faith. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.